When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a crowd podcast. Mark Boland died on September the 16th, 1977, in a car crash. It wasn't fame that killed him. It wasn't overindulgence or fast living. It wasn't sex or drugs. And it wasn't very rock and roll. He was a passenger in a little Mini Cooper. Not some fancy sports car or luxury limousine. He wasn't tearing to or from a gig. And he wasn't in the driver's seat. He was just on his way home being driven by his girlfriend after a night out with friends. She missed a bend on an unlit road in Barnes, South London, hit a pillar and hit a tree. And that was that. Mark Bolan, the elfin prince of glam rock, was dead, aged 29, just two weeks shy of his 30th birthday. The thing you have to wonder, though, was whether he'd have taken that deal. Would Mark have struck that live fast, die young and leave a beautiful corpse bargain if it was offered to him as a fame-obsessed wannabe? Personally, the prospect of immortality does not excite me, he once told an interviewer. But the prospect of being a materialistic idol for four years does. Mark always said he was gonna be famous. He told everyone he met he was destined for greatness. I've always known I was different right from the moment I was born, he said. When I was younger, I certainly thought I was a superior sort of being. As a kid in the mod scene, Mark was the ace face, the best dressed, the slickest mover, the leader of the pack. As a hippie, he was bard of the British underground spinning fairy fantasies of other worlds with made-up words, an acoustic guitar and a set of bongos. And when the 60s gave way to the 70s, Mark strapped on an electric, shook his curls, pouted his lips, put glitter on his cheeks and became, for a brief wild moment, the biggest thing since Beatlemania. The hot rocking centre of raging teenage hormonal madness. T-Rextasy. I am my own fantasy, he said. I am the cosmic dancer. I like being loved. But he seemed to know the clock was ticking. There's so little time for us all, he said. I need to be able to say what I want quickly, to as many people as possible. I live my life with a sense of urgency that most people can't comprehend. I feel there's a curse on rock stars, he said. 
Would he really have been shocked to meet his maker so young? Here's another thing he said. If God were to appear in my room, I would be in awe. But I don't think I'd be humble. I think he would dig me like crazy. Mark Boland spun his own creation myth. The electric warrior who danced right out of the womb. But the truth is a little more prosaic. Mark, with a K, Feld, F-E-L-D, is born in the East End of London in 1947 with a lorry-driving dad and a mum who runs a fruit stall down the market. This much we know, although Mark spins a web of fantasy around his life every time he opens his mouth. He's only a little guy, five foot four, fully stretched, but he's a giant in his own imagination. He's a fabulist and a narcissist, the most unreliable teller of his own tale. At the height of his fame, he's banging on to journalists about all his unpublished science fiction novels, his TV cartoon series, screenplays for Fellini, rock operas, oil paintings, enough for an exhibition, and a whole new audio-visual art form that will change the world. I do lie a lot, he admits. I feel like my credibility as a poet allows me to make things up. Well, there is that. Even back in his childhood on the bombed-out working-class streets of Hackney, Mark escapes into a world of make-believe. He's a cowboy, spinning his six guns. He's mighty Joe Young, the giant gorilla, beating up boys twice his size. He's Elvis. In 1956, for his ninth birthday, Mark gets an acoustic guitar. He doesn't learn to play right away, though. His chief interest is posing in front of the mirror, wiggling his hips. I was completely knocked out by my own image, he admits, by the idea of Mark Feld and what he would become. By the age of 14, he's a leading figure in the London mod scene, obsessed with the sharpest clothes, the latest moves, ace face of his own small clique, runaway star of three streets in Hackney. The future pop phenomenon can be spotted modelling for Town magazine, looking like a junior member of the Craze Gang, boasting of his improbable wardrobe of 10 suits, 8 sports jackets, 15 pairs of slacks, 30 shirts, 20 jumpers, 3 leather jackets, 2 suede, 5 or 6 pairs of shoes, and 30 exceptionally good ties. There are some more great quotes. You've got to be different from the other kids. You've got to be two steps ahead. It's not long after Mark meets another Cockney mod with musical ambitions who goes by the name of David Jones, soon to be David Bowie. Legend has it they meet in a manager's office when they've been hired to do some painting and decorating while hustling at the bottom ring of the music biz. Mark introduces himself as King Mod before pointing out to Bowie that his shoes are crap. The two became friends, a couple of London lads with big dreams. They meet for coffees at a haunt on Denmark Street, London's own Tin Pan Alley. David's only a few months older than Mark, but he's more sophisticated, better read, more musically accomplished and more advanced in his career. He's put out singles with the King Bees and the Lower Third. 
but Mark's charming, charismatic, inquisitive, and he learns fast, picking up tips for what to read, skimming all the fashionable books, absorbing knowledge. He's particularly taken with the bohemian French poets, Verlaine and Rimbaud, with the beat writers, Ginsberg and Kerouac, and Dylan Thomas too. Mark's dyslexic, but he loves words, the sound of them, the tone, and he starts to make up his own. Bronzen, Thiestes, Lithonic. It didn't matter what the words meant, just so long as they sounded good. He skims J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, and concocts fantasies of a time before time with dwarves and elves and fantastical characters like Cycle Michael and Mincing Quincy, dropping bop drops down the drain. He begins to think of himself as a poet. By 1965, he's ditched the mods and he's changed his name to, no, not Mark Bolan. It's Toby Tyler, sporting a Greek fisherman's cap and acoustic guitar, Britain's answer to Bob Dylan. Only a Scottish troubadour called Donovan has the same idea, and he's better at it. So Mark Feld switches direction, shifting to psychedelic whimsy, and he needs a new name to go with it. It's Mark, with a C, and Bolan, because, well, nobody knows for sure, he's told so many stories, he probably doesn't know himself. But it has something to do with a magical experience with a wizard in France, where Mark is introduced to sex, sorcery and esoteric wisdom. He learns about levitation, how to conjure spirits and demons, and how to be invisible. It's a tale that changes every time you tell it. Sometimes Mark and the wizard lived in the woods, under a tree, or even up a tree. Sometimes Mark and the wizard lived in a 47-room chateau on the Parisian left bank, where they crucify live cats and eat human flesh from a cauldron. He says, I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's a bit scary, however false it sounds. This is Mark Boland's creation myth and he sticks to one version or another for the rest of his life. Some biographers insist the truth is the wizard was Boland's nickname for an American actor friend, Riggs O'Hara. Riggs introduced Mark to all kinds of new books and music and took him to Paris for a long weekend that blew wide open his perspectives on life. And Riggs also happened to share a flat with another actor, James Bolam, with an M, who would go on to star in The Likely Lads, and was quite miffed when Mark borrowed his surname, but made it Bolan, with an N. But some might say, the truth doesn't really matter. The Wizard is Bolan's version of the Robert Johnson legend. The blues man selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads in exchange for his musical mojo. A hit single is a magic spell, says Bolan. He has that instinctive grasp of rock and roll fantasy. The Wizard is his first single for Decca in 1965. This is where we hear the voice he's been developing. Mimicking Blues 45 slowed down to 33, it's a bit of Bob Dylan drawl and Bessie Smith belt. It's a voice, once heard, not easily forgotten. But The Wizard is a flop. Mark's deal with the devil hasn't delivered yet. And so it goes for the next five years. 
He does a stint as guitarist in John's Children, a bunch of middle-aged art school agitators who dress in white, smash their instruments and stage fights with fake blood. They record Mark's fantasy song, Desdemona, but can't give it the sexy swagger it needs. Then Mark sees Indian sitar master Ravi Shankar playing cross-legged on the floor with a percussionist and decides he doesn't need those other bozos in his band. He forms Tyrannosaurus Rex, an acoustic duo with a bongo player, named after a hobbit in Lord of the Rings, Steve Peregrine Took. They play hippie happenings and become house band at flower power club Middle Earth, where they're spotted by a young American producer, Tony Visconti, looking for the next big thing. The name of their first album is, wait for it, My people were fair and had sky in their hair, but now they're content to wear stars on their brows. Which is probably all you need to know about it. For a while, Mark is big on the ashram circuit, where he's championed by Radio 1's John Peel. Peel, the resident underground DJ, sometimes jumps up on stage to recite Mark's nonsense tales of woodland creatures, musty muskets and goldfish gauntlets. He doesn't forget his old mate Bowie either. Mark offers to take David on tour with him, as long as he leaves his guitar at home, and just does a mime act. There's an image to conjure. Mark Bolan and David Bowie, on tour together in 1969, the future architects of glam rock. One in a Piero costume, pretending to be stuck behind an invisible wall. The other sitting cross-legged on a rug, singing mantras about magical kingdoms backed by a bongo player. David gets booed every night, which perhaps made it that little bit sweeter for Mark. And then, just as the hippie scene is crumbling, Peace and love is a fading dream. The students are rioting. The Vietnam War is raging. The Beatles are splitting and the 60s is coming to an end. Mark switches it up. He can feel the tide turn. He chops the name of his group to a hipper, sharper T-Rex. You've got to stay two steps ahead, right? Mark straps on an electric guitar and rediscovers his teenage love of rock and roll the slick riffing of Eddie Cochran, the hip-swivelling bravado of Elvis the Pelvis, the automated chrome-plated nursery rhymes of Chuck Berry. But this isn't just some nostalgic throwback. This is more like the 50s came after the 60s, after psychedelia, after flower power, after blues rock, wrapping up the wit of the Beatles, the whimsy of Pink Floyd, the foppishness of the kinks the androgyny of the stones, even taking on a delicate whiff of the heavy power of Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. But Mark is still a creature of fantasy. He rides a white swan into the British charts, a slinky, sexy, swaggering slice of hippy-dippy sing-along silliness that slowly, slowly creeps all the way up to number two in the hit parade. Then Bolan spreads his wings. He turns the band into a quartet for the follow-up, Hot Love, and turns up on top of the pops wearing a shiny silver satin sailor suit, long curls flopping about his cute face with two daubs of glitter on his cheeks. And it's wham bam thank you ma'am, glam rock is born. We'll talk more about it after this break.
This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Glam rock happens fast. The teens of Britain have been waiting for a pop star to call their own. Their older siblings had the Beatles and the Stones. Now they've got a pretty, smiling pixie in drag and they don't care what anyone else thinks about it. Bolan is accused of being a cynic, a hypocrite and a fake. John Peel is disillusioned. He drops him from his playlists, calling him a flower child with a knife up his sleeve. But critics can sneer and jeer all they want. The little girls would shout them down. Return of the Scream Age Idol. That's what one magazine says. The Beatles all give him the thumbs up. T-Rex really swing, says John Lennon. His way of writing is new. I've never read lyrics as funny and real as his. Ringo Starr even makes a film about him, Born to Boogie. And what does Mark make of all this? He takes it as his due, of course. It's ironic being called a male sex symbol, he says, when I'm prettier than most of the chicks. An old book of his hippie poetry, The Warlock of Love, suddenly shifts 20,000 copies. This means Mark can proclaim himself Britain's most popular poet. In 1971, T-Rex sales make up 3.5% of the entire British record market. They score three number one albums. Everyone's slapping on the eyeliner. Slade, Roxy Music, Alvin Stardust, even Bowie's muscling in on the act, breaking out as Ziggy Stardust, an alter ego that owes more than a little something to Mark Boland's glam makeover. 
Bowie's song, Lady Stardust, is a tongue-in-cheek tribute to Mark's androgynous appeal, noting how people stared at the makeup on his face, laughed at his long black hair, his animal grace. Meanwhile, T-Rex bang a gong and get it on with massive sold-out concerts and a string of chart-topping singles, packed with crazy characters like Metal Guru and Telegram Sam, conjuring solid gold easy action, baby. He's a 20th century boy. He's a groover, honey. Girl, he's just a jeepster for your love. He's got Ringo playing drums on Children of the Revolution with Elton John on piano. He's got a Rolls Royce because it's good for his voice. Mark's got everything he ever wanted and like so many before and since, he's not quite sure if it's really what he wants anymore. He's on the spot. He's under pressure. He compares it to being pinned against the wall by hundreds of invisible people. I don't know whether I'm going to be around for much longer as a human being, he says. I honestly feel it could all end tomorrow, not just the band, I mean life. And then, almost as quickly as it began, it's all over. Team Rextasy lasts two years. When Mark's new single doesn't make the top ten in February 74, it sounds as if he's backing singers are bidding farewell to Bolan himself, singing Whatever Happened to the Teenage Dream. He's living as a tax exile, drinking too much, doing too many drugs. It's all champagne and cocaine and he's putting on weight. He's got terrible haircut and chubby cheeks. And there's a whole new wave of fresh-faced American boys for girls to coo over. All of a sudden... The quirky weirdness of the Bolan style is out of touch with the pure puppy love pop of Donny Osmond and David Cassidy. And behind the scenes, Mark's narcissism is upsetting his co-workers. He's split with his loyal wife and manager, June Child. He's fallen out with his producer and, worst of all, he's expended a huge amount of energy and capital trying to break America. But America's not ready for two androgynous British rockers in eyeliner. They prefer David Bowie. In fact, let's face it, everyone prefers Bowie. He's the star of the 70s. He's got cred with rock critics and pop kids alike. He's a chameleonic polymath who can turn his hand to anything. Bowie is the star man. And, just like that, Mark Bolan is yesterday's man. Mark's producer, Tony Visconti, now he's David's main man. He'll make 12 albums with Bowie to add to the 10 he made with Bolan. If fame was hard, its aftermath is harder. Because Bolan is a narcissist without a mirror, he collapses into paranoia, self-pity and outright fantasy. When his own publicist arranges a visit, Bolan warns him to be careful because there are fans everywhere, hundreds of them keeping vigil outside his house but when the publicist shows up, the street is empty. Where are all the fans? He asks. Mark doesn't even blink. They're hiding behind a wall, he says. The new love of Mark's life is Motown singer and songwriter Gloria Jones, the northern soul queen, voice of tainted love. As Mark's music shifts in more soulful directions, still with America on his mind, she joins the T-Rex live band on keyboards and backing vocals. In September 75, they have a son, Roland Bolan. And Mark starts to clean up his act. He slims down and tightens up, 
he feels invigorated by punk and scores minor hits with I Love to Boogie and Laser Love, scraping into the top 30 with his new T-Rex album, Dandy in the Underworld. He even gets his own TV show, Mark. It's really a children's pop show, broadcast in the after-school slot, but it's a platform to reconnect with the kids and Bolan takes it seriously. No partying, early to bed, nose in a book most nights. He plays T-Rex songs, old and new, and has musical guests giving rare TV exposure for punks like The Jam, Boomtown Rats and Generation X. The series finale is filmed on September the 7th, 1977. His mate, David Bowie, will be his final guest, flying in from Switzerland for the first UK performance of a new single, Heroes. Accounts differ of events that day. The old friends seem happy to see each other, but now Bowie is the superstar, with the security team throwing the weight around, and Mark is second on the bill of his own TV show. At some point, he starts drinking, polishing off two bottles of wine from Bowie's rider. Filming runs over time. For the grand finale, Mark and David join forces for a duet of a song they seem to have knocked up in rehearsals, called Sleeping Next to You, featuring Bolan and Bowie on dueling guitars. Mark poses and pouts, trips over a microphone cable, falls off the stage and disappears out of shot. The final scene of the great glam rock rivalry is David Bowie, standing and laughing on stage, looking down at the space where his old friend used to be. It's too late to reshoot. And that's the last the public sees of Mark Bolan. Nine days later, he's dead. It's just a stupid accident. Gloria's back from the US where she's been recording a solo album, so the couple head out to celebrate. Mark's driver has the day off, so they leave the Rolls Royce behind and take his purple Mini Cooper. And even though Mark sings about cars in his songs, he's never learned to drive, so Gloria's at the wheel. The Mini had a puncture days before. A police report later suggests wheel nuts may not have been properly retightened and the wheel may have come loose, affecting the steering. The same report states the car had not been driven at excessive speed and that, in the officer's opinion, the driver was neither drunk nor on drugs. It happens in the wee small hours of Friday morning after a meal at Morton's in Mayfair, on the way home to their house in Richmond. It's a pitch black night, just a sliver of moonlight. There's a sharp left turn on Barnes Common, about halfway home in the posh suburbs. There have been accidents there before. The Mini hits a steel-reinforced concrete post, then collides with a sycamore tree. Mark's not wearing a seatbelt. He dies instantly. Gloria suffers a broken jaw and broken bones and has a foot trapped beneath the engine block. First on the scene is Gloria's brother, Richard Jones, who's been following in a car driven by pianist Vicky Aram. He's hysterical. It's up to Vicky to call an ambulance. They place Mark on a blanket, but he's already gone. He looked totally at ease, says Vicky. He just looked like a little boy.
Bowie's at the funeral, three days later. It's a star-studded affair. Rod Stewart, Steve Harley and the Damned, Flowers from Elton John, Keith Moon and Cliff Richard, hundreds of sobbing fans. I'm broken by it, says Bowie. He was my mate. He was the greatest little giant in the world. But Gloria Jones is still in hospital and hasn't even been told Mark is dead. Fans and hangers-on raid his house and take everything of value. Guitars, unreleased recordings, journals, books, clothes. By the time she gets home, Gloria can't even find her underwear. Even the Rolls Royce is gone. As for the money, accountants say all that's left is a three million pound tax bill. It's the last mystery of T-Rex. Mark's finances were tied up in offshore accounts for people to fight over for decades to come. Gloria returns to LA to raise two-year-old Roland Bolan by herself. Her voice has been damaged in the accident. Her confidence is low. Her musical career effectively over. She does have a benefactor though. David Bowie puts money in a fund for Roland, supporting him. Gloria says Bowie did it so we could live and he did it without being asked. It was simply that he loved Mark. He wanted to look after us. It was from his heart. That's the story of the cosmic dancer who danced right out the womb and into the tomb. The groover, the jeepster, the metal guru, the teenage king of the mods, the hippie who invented glam rock, the five-foot-four rock-and-roll wizard who wanted to be bigger than a Tyrannosaurus Rex. He lived fast, he died young, and he's fixed forever in the public imagination as a sexy, swaggering, glam-rocking icon. And you can still hear his music to this day. Somewhere, in some alternative dimension, you just know Mark Bolan is laughing about it all. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Neil McCormick and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we used Rider White Swan, The Lives and Death of Mark Bolan by Leslie Ann Jones. Shock and Awe, Glam Rock and Its Legacy by Simon Reynolds. The BBC4 documentary, Mark Bolan, Cosmic Dancer. And Neil McCormick's own articles. The music we used is from our partners BMG Production Music. But if you have that urge to listen to some Mark Boland now, go and find Cosmic Dancer, 20th Century Boy, and Whatever Happened to the Teenage Dream. Search for Death of a Rockstar on Spotify, and you'll see we're putting a playlist together with all our episodes and our song suggestions. If you want another episode, check out our ones about Elvis or Freddie Mercury two of the most iconic performers of all time. If you're a sports fan, we have another series called Death of a Sports Star, which is definitely worth checking out. And we're working on a brand new film star series that will be ready to launch in February. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. 
And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.